I was asked recently, why am I preaching uh, this series? And let me just tell you up front, I ain't mad at nobody. Okay, I'm not mad at anybody who's a member of Fairview. So that's not why I'm preaching uh, this series. Uh, My desire uh, in this series that I've entitled Help, I'm a member, a church member. My desire is just simply to help us uh, who are members of Fairview uh, to be good, solid church members. And to put it another way, to help us to be better church members. So some of us might be good church members already, but we can grow. Uh, We can be better church members. And I know that I could open up different passages that are in the Bible that will communicate to you and to me uh, what it means to be a church member. Uh, But I have chosen to use the vehicle of the church covenant. Uh, For those who are members of Fairview, you're familiar with the church covenant. It's an agreement. It's a covenant that you enter into with your brothers and sisters in Christ who are part of this local church. And I believe that when you look at this church covenant that is rooted in Scripture, that is grounded in Scripture, it helps us to be better church members. And so thus far in this series, we talked about the badge of a church member. How can you identify a true church member? not by their name being written on the roll, but it's because they've been born again. And not only born again, they have also been baptized with water by immersion in the name of the triune God. That's the badge of a church member. You're not a church member if you're not saved. It doesn't matter what role you're on. A true church member in the eyes of God is one who has been born again, born of God, and one, out of obedience to the word of God, has chosen to identify with Christ through water baptism. The relationship of a church member, the heart of our connecting with each other, is that we have entered into a covenant. And I know at Fairview we do not do that publicly, Uh, We don't even do that in front of the congregation. But the reality of the matter is, with this church covenant, you have entered into agreement, into covenant. You have entered into a relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And you do that, so to speak, in the presence of God, angels, and your fellow church members. And you do that in a manner that is solemn and joyful. So no one's holding a gun to your head. No one is forcing you into this covenant. But you need to understand that you have entered into a relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ here at Fairview Heights Baptist Church. And we have been spending most of our time looking at the commitments of a church member. And if you look at that covenant, uh, you'll see that the commitments are divided into three sections. Uh, The first section talks about the fact that we agree, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to do certain things. We, We understand that this is a collective effort. We understand that we are to do this together and we need the help of the Spirit of God. This church covenant cannot be carried out in our own strength and in our own ability. We need God's help. And that's why it says we agree to do this by the aid of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And what are the commitments? The first commitment that we talked about was to walk together in Christian love. We need to hear that. That we are walking together. And it doesn't matter if you enjoy the people at Fairview or not. It doesn't matter what your relationships might be. 
The, the reality of the matter is that we're in this together. We're walking together in Christian love. We're not lone rangers. We're not isolated church members. Do you realize how foolish it would be for a member of the human body to think that it could function and exist by itself? It's an impossibility. And God says we're members of a local church. And we're designed to work together, function together, be challenged together, to sharpen each other, etc., We need each other as we live the Christian life. Now, I know uh, we have this Western idea of Christianity that we can do it alone, that we can be the lone ranger. But scripturally, that's not the case. And so the church covenant begins properly, that we're going to walk together. We're going to live the Christian life together in Christian love. Last week, we saw the second commitment. And that was the commitment to love the church. I hope you love your church. With all of its warts, with all of its problems, with all of its idiosyncrasies, I hope you love Fairview Heights Baptist Church. Because in essence, that's what the covenant talks about, but more importantly, the Lord Jesus Christ loves his church. How dare you not love this local church when the Lord Jesus Christ loves this local church to the extent that he died on the cross and paid the penalty for the church that he might purchase the church to be his own bride. We can't get away with thinking that we can love Jesus and we don't love his bride. That's just not biblical. That doesn't make any sense at all. No husband will let you love, no, uh, will let a person love him and not love his wife. No wife will say you can love me, but you don't have to love my husband. And the Lord Jesus Christ demands that we love his church his bride, his wife. And how do we love our church? We strive for its advancement in holiness, in knowledge, and in comfort. We promote its prosperity and spirituality. That is, we want the local church to be successful. We want our ministries to be successful. We're not looking to just be doing things for the sake of doing things, but we want God to bless the success of our ministries, all of them, each and every one of them. We promote the spirituality of the church. We understand that first and foremost, the church is a spiritual entity. We sustain its essentials. And what are the essentials? Worship, the ordinances. No, uh, the doctrines, discipline. And then also the last thing we talked about last week is that we contribute to its endeavors. So I know you remember that, so I don't need to highlight that point at all. But we give. And the Bible gives us good principles for giving. But for today, I want us to look at another commitment, a third commitment. And that commitment is the commitment to be a devoted family member. The church member is committed to being a devoted family member. That's regardless of if you're living within a family unit. Okay, the assumption of the covenant is that the individual is a part of a family unit. But sometimes that's not the reality for some of us. Some of you might be single and you live by yourself. There is no family unit. So take in what is being said. I think there are principles that are to be applied to your family and to your friends. But this portion of the covenant is speaking directly to those who are living with their family. And particularly, it seems to highlight 
the idea of living with your mate and with your children. But there is a way that it applies to all of us. That's the assumption of this commitment here, that you're living in a family unit. But this commitment also acknowledges that sin has impacted the family. Sin doesn't just impact an individual, but sin has impacted the family, the institution that God established in Genesis 2. And you read the book of Genesis, if you read all throughout the book of Genesis, you will see how sin has devastated the family. And it happens immediately after the fall. The fall devastates Adam and Eve's relationship with God. The fall devastates the relationship between Adam and Eve. It devastates the relationship of Adam to creation. Creation is cursed. It makes it difficult and hard for Adam as he carries out his work. And then you get to Genesis 4. And you see the devastation of sin in the family. We, we read about how Cain murdered Abel. Genesis 4, after this wonderful picture of creation, of what God has done and what God has created, as soon as the fall takes place, we see children come into the world. And, and here you have Cain and Abel, two brothers, and one brother kills the other brother. That's the devastation of sin in the family. And you'll see it all throughout the book of Genesis. And really, you'll see it all throughout the word of God. So church member, God is not only concerned about your relationship with him and your relationship with the members of the local church. He's concerned about your relationship with those in your family. He's, he cares about your family. And he knows that sin has devastated people's lives and he wants to use you as a church member, not just in this church, but he wants to use you in your family. He wants to redeem your family. He wants to save your family. He wants you to have a spiritual impact upon your family. And the covenant reminds us of that biblical truth. Some of us think that once we get saved, goodbye to the family. Some of us even want to say goodbye to our mate. But God wants to use you in relationship to your mate, in relationship to your kids, to, in relationship to your family. He wants you to be an instrument in his hand to help redeem your family. It's not simply about your redemption and your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible, God wants you to have a life where you're an instrument in God's hands to help others, particularly those in your family, come to a relationship with God. So the question is, how can a church member fulfill the commitment to be a devoted family member? How do I flesh that out of being a devoted family member? Well, it happens by maintaining family and personal devotion. Now, don't, don't get silent on me. Don't tune me out. But the church member is committed to being a devoted family member that is devoted to God, devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. That church member is able to say, like the songwriter, more love to thee. That should be our song. That should be our prayer almost every day. More love to thee. More love to thee. There, there, there ought to be a devotion 
to God. And, and that devotion to God is something not just for me, but I want that for my family. If God has put me in a home and there's a family using, God wants my family to be devoted to him. He doesn't just want it for me. It's so easy for us to think of relationships and Christianity in an isolated perspective. That is all about me and God. And I forget and I've forgotten that God has placed me in a family so that my family will be devoted to him and not just me devoted to him. The devoted family member is wanting to be used by God to help the members of his family be devoted to God, to Christ, to love Christ. The devoted family member is basically a member of the tribe of Joshua. Turn with me to Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. They're familiar words. And in this text, in Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15, Joshua challenges the people of Israel, listen, to live a life of total commitment. Joshua wants them to sell out completely and totally to God. And in verses 14 and 15, here's what Joshua writes and says to them. He says, now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve God. And if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, are the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I hope you see that in the Bible. It's not written on my forehead. We need to open up the book and make sure we know this is actually in God's word. Joshua says, he, he's calling on them to live a life of total commitment. Why? Because of what God has done for the people of God. You read verses 1 through 13, particularly verse 2 and following. It's I, 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 I. It's like God grabs a microphone from Joshua and begins speaking and talks about everything that he's done for the nation of Israel. In the light of all that God has done for the nation of Israel, the Bible says, Joshua says, serve the Lord. You want to know why you should live a life of total commitment? It's because of what God has done for you. But Joshua goes on and tells us what it means to serve the Lord, to live a life of total commitment. And it's wrapped up in that one word, serve. It means to walk with God, worship God, and to work for God. And Joshua even deals with the issue, what if I don't want to serve God? And some of you might be saying, I don't want to live a life of total commitment. I don't mind giving God a contribution, but I'm not going to give him my whole life. And Joshua says, if you don't want to live a life of total commitment, choose the false God that you will serve. Pick up that false God and leave. You see, God doesn't want half-hearted Christians. God doesn't want half-hearted individuals who give a little to him and give other things to others. Joshua enters into this situation, and Joshua gives his own perspective on the matter. He said, I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know whether you're going to serve the Lord or not, but as for me and my house, 
Joshua says, we will serve the Lord. Before he said that, he didn't go running to Mrs. Joshua to find out what she thinks. He, he didn't go check in with Joshua Jr. or Joshua to find out what they think about it. No, he says, we will serve the Lord. He was taking responsibility for his family. And he's saying that our family is going to be devoted to God. Our family will follow God. And, and, and the church member who is a devoted family member has that same mindset that they will be devoted to God. And they say that on behalf of the family members. Now, the reality might be you can raise your family that way to be devoted to God. You're devoted to God. And when they leave your house, your home, they might not follow God. But that's not your problem. Our issue, our concern, is what are we doing with the family when we are living with them under the same roof? Are we going to be those who are devoted family members? Will we rise up and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We'll walk with him. We'll worship him. We will work for him. We're not going to leave it up to the children to determine whether or not they want to serve the Lord. The knuckleheads don't know better. You should know better. You should be able to say to your children, you need to follow the Lord. And if you're in my house, we will follow the Lord. And again, I, I wish this was a guarantee. It's not. There have been many individuals who have grown up in a home where the mother and the father are devoted family members. And they have sought to cause their children to be devoted to God and Christ. Only to find out when that child, that adult child leaves the home, that they're not following the Lord. And you just have to leave that matter with the Lord. You can't have the same influence that you once had, but you can still get on your knees and cry out for that family member. It could be a husband, could be a wife, could be a son, could be a daughter. But as a church member, you're agreeing that you will be a devoted family member. One who is committed to maintaining family and personal devotion. And as I read that in the covenant, it doesn't say maintaining family and personal devotions, but devotion, singular. And so what the call is for here is that you and I, as devoted church members, who are seeking to be family members who are devoted to God, we want our family to be devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, part of that is having personal devotions. Part of that is family devotion. And it will look different ways in the lives of different Christians. But there's no way you can get your family devoted to God without you individually being devoted to God. And there's no way you're going to be devoted to God apart from spending time in his word on a regular and consistent basis. So personal devotion is an absolute must for the Christian. If you're going to grow in your love for Christ, if you're going to grow in your love for God, you need to be spending time in the word and praying at a minimal base, basic reality. That's the bare facts. I must be taken in the word. I must be praying. Now, I realize for some people, 
You tell them to take in the word. You say, this book is 66 books. All these pages. Where do I begin? What do I do? And I just want to say, as a church, we're trying to help the members of Fairview when it comes to their personal devotions. If you go out this sanctuary into the foyer, you might see little booklets called Our Daily Bread. They've been put out ever since I've been at Fairview. We got tons of them. But, but Our Daily Bread is a great way to spend time each day reading the word, understanding the word, and even praying. It's a devotional, broken up into a quarter. There's one devotional per day. Only a little small page. Probably takes you three to five minutes. It can take you as long as you want. But it's designed to draw you closer to God. Now, some of you are beyond our daily bread. But hopefully nobody's at the point where they're not taking in the word and praying. And so I want to encourage you. We have these wonderful booklets come out every quarter. Take one on your way out. And then there are some other wonderful booklets that specialize in stuff. So if you're struggling in your devotional life, if you don't know how to take in the word and pray, use that as a beginning step. Well, so we're trying to help the church members. We also try to help the church members maintain family and personal devotion by having Sunday school, by having Awana. Those are ministries that are designed to help. We have children's church. So, so we're not trying to leave you on an island, not trying to make you feel guilty. Just want to encourage you that really a church member is a devoted family member. Well, let me move on. The church member fulfills the commitment to be a devoted family member. How? By Training children scripturally. Training children scripturally. That is, there are children that have been entrusted to us. And those children that have been entrusted to us, we are to train. And the manner of our training is to be according to the word of God. So we don't train our children as Christians, as members of Fairview, we don't train our children according to popular magazines, popular radio programs. We don't even train them according to Phil and Oprah. We, we don't even train our kids according to what grandma and grandpa said. We train our kids according to the word of God. We are consulting the father who knows best. Now, some of us grew up watching that TV show, Father Knows Best. No, he didn't know best, but it was a good idea. But there is a father that knows best, and that is our heavenly father. And he has given us his word to help us train our children. Now, there's an Old Testament passage that I want us to see. We've seen Joshua turn back one book to the book of Deuteronomy. I believe that the Bible offers much guidance and much direction on how to train children scripturally. But Deuteronomy chapter 6 is a passage that basically was at the center of Old Testament religion. In verses 4 and 5, there's what's called the Shema. The Shema. And it's based upon the very first word in verse 4, hear or listen. And, and Jews took verse 4 and 5 very seriously. So seriously they would quote it in the morning and quote it in the evening. But this is a wonderful passage that talks about 
how to scripturally train your children. One of several passages. In fact, one preacher came up with a title based upon these verses, and his title was How to Raise a Disciple and Not a Delinquent. Anybody interested in that? How to raise a disciple and not a delinquent. Well, if you're going to do that, if that's your heart's desire for your children, then the word of God, as found in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9, is important. And it begins by saying that training children scripturally demands that the parents or the guardian be properly related to God. If you're going to train your children scripturally, it begins with you, parent. It begins with you, guardian. It begins with you, grandparent. You have to be properly related to God. And what does that mean according to verse 4 and verse 5? It means that you can say that God is your God, that he's our God. You have a theologically correct view of God, that the Lord is one. That is, there's none other besides him. It means that you love God with all of your heart, your soul, and your might. Remember we heard those words out of the mouth of Jesus in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34, where he says the greatest commandment is to love God with all of your heart, with all of your might, with all of your strength, with all of your soul. That is, love God with every part of your being and love God with all of your being. And not only that, these verses tell us that the parent or the guardian has to have God's word on their heart. And what that means is that they're thinking and meditating on the word of God. If that's not happening, it's very difficult. Can I be honest? It's impossible to scripturally train your children. You can't train your children to be something you aren't. You can't tell them that there's only one God and that you are to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and that they are to have God's word on their heart if you're not modeling that before them. And so it begins there. But training children scripturally demands that parents or guardians transfer God's word to their children. There's a responsibility to transfer the word of God to our children. And what that looks like, the text says in verses 7 through 9, it means you shall teach them. You shall talk of them. When? When you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. So you either teach God's word formally. There are times where you need to sit down and teach. But you also to teach God's word informally. When you're walking by the way. When you're at the football game. When you're at the park teaching God's word informally. When they see the beautiful creation and the mountains that God has created, you can teach them about who God is informally. You don't have to get a pulpit. You don't have to open up the Bible. You can tell them that God created the heavens and the earth. And you need to teach your children visually. You need to put before them God's word. And that's what it talks about when it says binding it on your hand that's frontlet, putting it on your doorpost and your gates. Some of us got everything but the word of God on our doors and on our gates and on our walls. And then we wonder why our children don't have any interest in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's telling us how to raise a disciple and not a delinquent. And I know it might seem archaic, might seem old, because it is old, it is archaic, but it's biblical. I told you this story before that I grew up in a church, 
And there are two walls, like a wall here and a wall there. So instead of you doing this sermon looking at blank walls, in the church that I grew up in, had scripture here and scripture there. So if you didn't listen to a word and you wanted to zone out, if you lift up your eyes instead of lift them down, uh, you might find a scripture that will stick in your mind. I still remember it. I still remember it. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Because we were good Baptists. I, I remember it to this day. The other one, be still and know that I am God. That, that registered in this pagan mind of mine. When I wasn't thinking a thing about the sermon or anything, because I saw those scriptures visually, it was ingrained in me. It was like I was reading them. And so I still see it to this day. So if you want to raise a disciple and not a delinquent, that's what you have to do. You have to make sure it starts with you. And you have to make sure that you transfer God's word to them. So that's how we are a devoted family member. One of the ways is training our children scripturally. And I realize this is a monumental task. I feel for those of you who have small children and have to raise children in this culture, in this environment. I know the temptation will be, let me run and escape and hide. But you won't be able to get it. This little device, this phone, your kids are connected to it. And you can try to take it away, but there's computers, there's, it's there, and sin abounds. And it's going to make it hard for you to raise children. Oh, you might be able to raise children that do well educationally, athletically, etc. But your goal is to raise children who love the Lord. That ought to be your heartbeat, your desire. And you need to be crying out to God and saying, God, help me in this task. It's overwhelming. It is hard. It's difficult. Sin abounds everywhere. I don't have any money. I can't send my kids to Christian school. I can't stay at home. I got to work. And so I put my kids in a public school that says transgender behavior is fine. That same-sex marriage is fine. And your kids are growing up with beliefs and values that are smack dab contrary to the word of God. And so it's hard. And you're going to need to cry out to, to God for his grace and his enablement. You're going to have to ask him to help you. And we're here to help you train your children. We're not a replacement, but we're here to help you. And again, that's why we have Sunday school teachers teaching your children. That's why we have children's church workers working with the children. That's why we have Awana, because we want to help you in this task. And so I encourage you to understand that the commitment to be a devoted family member means that you are training your children according to the word of God. And I'm not trying to sell you any property. I'm not trying to deceive you or mislead you. I'm just trying to help us to do what God tells us to do. I'm not saying to you that if you do it, your kids are going to turn out all right. But I am saying you will turn out all right. You're doing what God wants you to do. And so be an instrument in God's hands to have an impact upon your children. The last way that this commitment to be a devoted family member is accomplished is by seeking the salvation of family and friends. Just as the church member has received the Lord Jesus Christ as his or her savior that we read about at the beginning of the covenant, that should be the desire for family and friends. Why would you want to be saved 
And you don't want your family and friends to be saved. You've understood God has opened your eyes and your mind to help you to see why you need to be saved. And thank God, due to his grace, he has enabled you to be saved. And you have gotten baptized and you've become a part of a local church. And now you want to be a devoted family member. And a devoted family member seeks the salvation of family and friends. Isn't that what Timothy's mother and grandmother wanted for him? Turn with me to the New Testament in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Last letter that Paul writes, his farewell letter. And he challenges his son Timothy to live in dangerous and difficult times. Paul told Timothy, Timothy, dangerous and hard to bear times are coming. And he says, Timothy, you're in them. They're not just coming, you're in them. And he gives a a, a list of why the times are dangerous. And it starts off because men will be lovers of self. That's our number one problem. (laughs) Lovers of self. And the list ends by saying that they're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Isn't that descriptive of the world that we live in? People are lovers of self and they're lovers of pleasure. Always looking for entertainment. Always looking for pleasure, but not always looking for God. So they love pleasure rather than loving God. And Paul says, Timothy... Those are the times that you're living in. And there's going to be false teachers. And he tells them how to be faithful in his ministry during those difficult times. He tells them, look, there's going to be those individuals who are false teachers. Those individuals who are imposters. But don't be like them, Timothy. And so Paul writes in verse 14. He says, you, Timothy, however, continue in the things you have learned. And become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Paul talks about the things that Timothy has learned. He talks about the things that Timothy has come to know from the sacred scriptures. How did Timothy learn them? It was because he had a godly mother and a godly grandmother, Eunice and Lois, who taught him the scriptures. Taught him the scriptures. Not once he reached high school, But they taught him the scriptures from childhood. And the word could be from the time he was an infant. uh, Time he was learning his ABC. Some believe that instead of learning, uh, no, that Timothy learned his ABC from the Old Testament scriptures. So the word of God was being poured into him from the very beginning. And Paul says, Timothy, continue in those things that you learn and become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them. And knowing that, that these scriptures will make you wise unto salvation which is in Jesus Christ. The reason why Timothy's mother and grandmother poured the scriptures into him, tried to make it the basis of his life because they knew that it was the scripture that would give them wisdom and insight to put his faith and his trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. They were evangelists. They didn't get on a street corner. They didn't stand on a soapbox. They taught their son and their grandson the word of God knowing that God's word has the power to give people wisdom to lead them to salvation. 
you see when you're seeking the salvation of family and friends. When you're seeking the salvation of your child like Timothy's mother and grandmother did. And just as a word of encouragement, Timothy's mother was married to a pagan. But she didn't throw in the towel. She committed herself to God. So I'm going to raise my son in the scriptures. I believe in God. I believe in his word. I know what his word can do. His grandmother helped him. Daddy was there but not able to teach. And that's what we sometimes have to do. Sometimes the family unit is less than ideal. But we seek the salvation of our family. Sometimes the family members are old. Can't spend the time that we could with them like we did with the children. But this person who seeks the salvation of family and friends is an Acts 1-8 practitioner. And if you don't know Acts 1-8, you should know it. Where it is said that once the Holy Spirit comes on those initial disciples, that they will be witnesses. They will be Jesus' witnesses. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, Samaria, even to the uttermost parts and remotest parts of the earth. You say, what's important about that verse? Well, it tells you that you need the help of the Holy Spirit. But more importantly, it tells you to seek the salvation of your family and your friends. You say, where do you get that from? You start in Jerusalem. You know where your Jerusalem is? My Jerusalem is 5656 West 63rd Street. Your Jerusalem is your home. You start in Jerusalem. You start with those who are in your home and your friends and acquaintances. And you're seeking their salvation. You want to be used by God to share the gospel with them. And so I ask you, Fairview, those who are members of this church, Are you seeking the salvation of your family and friends? Parent, parents, parent, are you seeking the salvation of your child or your children? Are you rooting and grounding them and saturating them in the word of God? Are you praying for them? Are you living the life before them? Husband, our wife, Are you seeking the salvation of your mate? You think God has you married to an unbeliever just for you to enjoy salvation and not that unbeliever get saved? There are scriptures that speak to that issue. You to live the life before that person. To seek the salvation of our family and friends, you don't have to go to seminary for that. You don't even have to go to Bible college. And you don't even have to go to LABTS in order to share the gospel. You just proclaim the excellencies of him, as Peter says in 1 Peter 2.9, of him who called you out of darkness into his light. You might not know the Romans road. You might not know life's most important question, but you know what you used to be and God saved you and now what you are. Proclaim his excellencies who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Some of you might know the name of Dr. Charles Lee Feinberg. He's no longer living. He's a Jew who is absolutely brilliant. Dr. Feinberg grew up, obviously, in a Jewish home, and his parents wanted him to be a rabbi. And that's what he thought he was going to be, a rabbi. Brilliant mind. God gifted him with an excellent mind, and he was pursuing 
being a rabbi. But in his neighborhood, there lived an African-American lady. Didn't have any degrees. But she knew the Lord Jesus Christ. And she took the time to share the gospel with this brilliant young man who was planning on becoming a rabbi. Took the gospel to him. It's not through her that he got saved, but she planted the seed. Charles Lee Feinberg ended up being the dean of Talbot Theological Seminary. They named a hall after him. He's written commentaries and books. But it was an African-American Christian woman by the name of Carmen McKnight who sought the salvation of her acquaintances. My friends, may we do the same. Next week, we will consider the fourth commitment, being a light in the world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we bow before you and cry out to you and realize that we need your help to be the church members that you would want us to be. Pray that you would move us and cause us to respond to what your word is asking of us. Sometimes we become indifferent to your word due to one reason or the other. But God, may you remove our indifference and cause us to look at this covenant in the light of your word and realize that you want us to be church members who are devoted family members. Help us to maintain family and personal devotion. Father, help us to scripturally train our children and help us, Father, to seek the salvation of our family and our friends. Use us for your glory and your honor. We commit ourselves to you and acknowledge that we need your help in every way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.